Hey friends and true crime fans, it's TJ, the weirdo with a beardo for Wings 93, back again with another episode of True Crime Tuesday. This week, we dive into episode number 93, The Jonestown Cult. James Warren Jones was born May 13, 1931 in Crete, Indiana, the product of a poor, troubled childhood. His father, James Thurman Jones, was a disabled World War I veteran whose small military pension wasn't enough to support his family. His mother, Lynetta, had no job and lacked the natural maternal instincts to care for her child, often neglecting young Jim. And by 1934, it was the middle of the Great Depression. The family had lost their home after they couldn't afford the mortgage payments, and a group of family members pulled together and purchased a small shack in nearby Lynn, Indiana. The house had no electricity and no running water, and the family had no steady source of food, often relying on help from family members or foraging in nearby fields and forests. And as Jim grew up, his father's health continued to decline. His mother continued to ignore her motherly duties, and young Jim had to fend for himself. He would often be found walking naked through the streets of Lynn, where a number of the town's female residents would invite him in, offering him food, clothing, and other gifts. Myrtle Kennedy, the wife of the local pastor, took a particular interest in him. With the absence of a stable home life, Myrtle took Jim under her wing, introducing him to the Nazarene church, giving him a Bible, and encouraging him to read it. As Jim grew older, he became increasingly involved in the church. Attending services sometimes three or four days a week, he was even baptized several times. Young Jim Jones soon developed an interest in becoming a pastor, although Jones's mother didn't approve of his decision to devote himself to the church. Soon, young Jim Jones began to behave strangely, often visiting a local casket maker and giving funerals to roadkill that he'd collected. A neighbor once claimed they'd witnessed Jim kill a stray cat just so he could give it a funeral and a proper burial. And his strange behavior and delusions continued with age. At one point, Jim Jones claimed that he could fly. He attempted to demonstrate his ability by jumping off the roof of a local building, breaking his arm in the process. And even though many of the local community members knew Jim and had sympathy for his unfortunate family situation, they also believed Jim was a strange boy, intensely fascinated with religion and death. Some theories suggest he may have developed these strange interests because he had such a hard time making friends. And regardless, Jim's strange behavior continued well into his formative years, becoming more mischievous. He started stealing candy from stores in town. He would use extremely offensive and vulgar language, both of which would warrant beatings from his mother. During adolescence, Jim Jones became interested in religion and social doctrines. An avid reader, he happily devoured the writings of Adolf Hitler, Stalin, Karl Marx, Mao Zedong, and Mahatma Gandhi. He spent countless hours in the public library, often bringing home books to read. When World War II began, he became fascinated with the Nazi party, not because of their racial or spiritual beliefs, but because of their grand pageantry, their sense of purpose, their dedication to their cause, and by Hitler's sheer power as a leader. Jones' interest in the Nazis didn't sit well with members of the community, but they blamed his strange behavior on his poor home life. And Jim later confessed that by eight years old, his worldview had grown quite dark. He was quoted as saying, I was ready to kill by the end of the third grade. I mean, I was so aggressive and hostile. I was ready to kill. Nobody gave me love, any understanding, and in those days a parent was supposed to go with a child to school functions. 
There was some kind of school performance and everybody's parents were there. But mine. I'm standing there, alone. Always alone. Several writers and biographers claim that Jim Jones was drawn to religion as a replacement for his lack of a true family and very little, if any, friends. By the time he hit high school, it seemed like he was the weird kid, always dressing in his Sunday best, ignoring people who spoke to him unless he initiated the conversation first, always carrying a Bible with him constantly, and had very opinionated views on religion that he would often force upon others. And even though he didn't have much of a kinship with his peers, Jim Jones still held a great deal of sympathy for others. He despised racism, speaking out against racial discrimination in the segregated 1940s, an act that angered his father, who was an active member of the Ku Klux Klan, and their differing views on race caused significant strain on their relationship and eventually led to them to not speaking for many years. In 1945, Jim's parents separated and divorced. He and his mother relocated to Richmond, Indiana, where Jim graduated high school early with honors in 1948. And by that point, Jim had worked several years at Reed Hospital, where he met his future wife, Marceline Baldwin, whom he married in June of 1949. And after graduation, Jim began college at Indiana University of Bloomington, hoping to become a doctor, but eventually changed his mind. But during his college years, he became deeply concerned with social justice and the plight of African Americans and began to develop some extreme socio-political views, including support for communism. And in 1951, 20-year-old Jim Jones was attending a communist party rally in Indianapolis, gaining the attention of community members and the FBI, who frequently harassed him and his family. And socio-political views aside, by 1952, Jim Jones made his boyhood dream a reality, receiving a blessing by a Methodist superintendent who helped him get started in the church, becoming a youth pastor at the Somerset Southside Methodist Church in the summer of 1952. Jones used his position to open a non-segregated playground where children of all races could be free to play with one another. His post, however, was short-lived after he was fired for stealing church funds. But in the years that followed, Jim Jones continued his crusade of religion, ministry, social justice, and racial inclusion. In 1955, he began his own church called Wings of Healing, which would later be changed to People's Temple. At his healing conventions as part of the People's Temple, he would often call attendees out by name, stating their address and why they came for prayer, a tip he picked up from healing evangelist William Branham. Because of his seemingly psychic powers, many of Jones' attendees thought he had a supernatural gift. Others claimed he was some sort of prophet. Either way, it led to the People's Temple, growing dramatically. And according to newspaper reports at the time, Jones would attract over 1,000 attendees to the People's Temple services. And through his activism and humanitarian efforts towards desegregation, he actually earned the support and respect of both the NAACP and the Urban League in Indianapolis. He eventually became appointed the director of the local Human Rights Commission by Indianapolis Mayor Charles Boswell. And in that position, he helped racially integrate the Indianapolis Police Department, a theater, an amusement park, and the Indiana University Health Methodist Building. Even Jones' family became a melting pot of cultures. Jones himself even referred to his family as a rainbow family. He and his wife Marceline adopted a Native American child, three Korean children, and in 1961 became Indiana's first white couple to adopt a black child, whom they named Jim Jones Jr. Jones promoted the belief that people should, quote, become manifestations of God with supernatural gifts and superhuman abilities. 
He and others like him believe those who possess these supernatural gifts would become, quote, the millennial age of heaven on earth, signaling the end of the world as we know it. Jones eventually adopted the idea that he himself was a manifestation of God, claiming to be the reincarnated Elijah the prophet, a manifestation of Christ, promoting the idea that the end of the world was near. Jones continued his belief in the end of days, claiming that he had visions of a nuclear attack that would ravage the city of Indianapolis. He began scouting the globe for places to relocate his church and his devout followers. Meanwhile, the church was losing money hand over fist while he found a more permanent home. And after a brief stay in Brazil, Jones returned home to find the congregation clearly divided. To unify everyone, Jones claimed a nuclear war would erupt on July 15, 1967, and invited a group of nearly 140 people to move to a plot of land in Northern California for safety. And by 1968, he had grown the membership of People's Temple to over 300. And by the late 1960s, Jim Jones began introducing the idea of communism into his teachings, calling it apostolic socialism. And he started encouraging followers to move away from religion and the Bible, claiming it oppressed women and non-whites. He also began telling his members that Christianity's view of a supreme being was a, quote, sky god or no god at all, claiming that he himself was God amongst his followers. Now, after arriving in California, Jim Jones started taking illegal drugs, which fueled his paranoia, and he started manipulating members of his congregations with fear and control, warning them against various enemies like the KKK, Nazis, redneck vigilantes, and the U.S. government. He claimed consequences like fires, car accidents, injuries, and death to anyone who defied him or his teachings. Soon, he began forcing his followers to turn over all of their assets to him. To those with jobs outside the compound, they were encouraged to donate all of their money to the People's Temple. Jones was gathering as many financial resources as he could to fund the church's communal lifestyle. Now, in the meantime, Jones kept touting his message of economic socialism and racial equality. And by 1973, he had grown to over 2,500 members in the state of California, with branches in Los Angeles, San Fernando, and San Francisco, where he would eventually move the People's Temple's headquarters. Now, by this point, Jones and his so-called church had received a lot of negative press. Following one of his healing services, a reporter published a story that led to a probe into Jones by the Indiana State Psychology Board, claiming he had no special healing powers, causing unrest in Jones's congregation. Further investigation revealed that several of these miracles that Jones had performed on these healing trips were nothing but hoaxes, healing broken bones, curing cancer, these supposed psychic powers and others, all a lie. And to avoid being found out completely, Jim Jones planned to relocate the People's Temple to South America permanently. And that is where our story takes an even uglier and deadly turn. Join me next week as we continue our story of the Jonestown cult, which eventually leads to the Jonestown Massacre. Join me each week for more stories of true crimes and unsolved mysteries. We'll see you next week.